This week, we read Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. Chapter 2. Three Old Ladies Knit the Socks of Death. Well, you know what they say. Knit it and quit it. Hi, all our buddies, and welcome back to the Jackson 2, the only Percy Jackson reread podcast that comes free with every purchase of weird, poorly wrapped, gross local squash candy from the roadside stand near you. I, for my part, am old CW. Who is here joining me? It's exactly who you think it is. Shit! William Mills. Oh, okay. Esquire. Wait, you're a lawyer? I'm gonna be honest, I don't actually know what Esquire means. It means lawyer. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh... No, I'm an engineer. <laughs> okay, fair enough. In any event, uh, we are two buds here to read through the Percy Jackson and the Olympians books first and foremost. Last week we did chapter one. I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher. This week we are reading chapter two, The Three Old Ladies Knit the Socks of Death. William, give us a rough rundown, like just a, a you know, like a 10 second chomp it up. What happened last time? Uh, we established that Percy Jackson is going to a boarding school for troubled youth in upstate New York. Yeah. They are going on a field trip that little PJ is determined to go well because, uh, field trips tend to go wrong around him for reasons that are not actually his fault if you look at it. He has a Latin teacher named Mr. Brunner who's awesome. Uh, he has- You're gonna mention Mr. Brunner. He has an algebra teacher named Mrs. Dodds who's terrible. Turns out she's literally a monster. Yep. Tried to eat him. Mr. Brunner gave Percy a sword. Yep. And Percy vaporized Mrs. Dobbs. Yeah. Her trip to the museum was cut short. And now everyone's acting like Mrs. Dobbs never existed. Yeah, what the hell? And not in the normal, oh, we hated her so we're not talking about her. They literally seem to think she never existed. And there is a Mrs. Kerr in her place. Correct. And this pattern holds going forward, because we fast forward a little bit. They're back to class, and it's nearing the end of the term, so we can safely assume that, like, some weeks at least have passed, right? Yeah. And everyone there, except PJ, swears up and down that there never was any such Mrs. Dodds. But you know what? Grover clearly remembers her. And PJ doesn't believe that he doesn't. Yeah. He, yeah, he he goes to everyone. Everyone t- tells him, no, it's Mrs. Kerr. What's going, what are you talking about, Percy? But Grover, ha, uh, he just has a tell. Oh, Grover. Grover, Grover, Grover. I don't know why they always put the people who are incapable of lying in charge of secrets. Uh, yeah. Well, you do the best with what you have. So the weather around... Yancey Academy while all of this happening is getting weird. Yeah, thunderstorms and tornadoes and... You know, tornadoes in New York. Which theoretically are possible, but they just don't happen. They, they generally do not, no. And the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean? It's, uh, eating more planes than usual. Yeah. Which I feel like is a bigger ask than the book really presents it as. Because wouldn't that mean like hundreds of people were going missing? Uh, well, not necessarily, cause, uh, it, it, it specifies that the, un, uh, it's an unusual number of small planes. Mm. Uh, so it okay. might, it might just be single, per, like, single digit people crafts. 
Right. Uh, you know, like little little baby Cessnas and such. Little baby Cessnas. PJ, for his part, he's getting pretty irritable. He's getting pretty depressed. Because you know what fucking sucks is when you hate the school you're at and you're bad at it, and also everybody makes you feel like you're going fucking crazy. Yeah, his his grades are slipping. He yeah. uh, calls Mr. Nickel, his English teacher, a an old sot. Which Correct. he then says, I wasn't even sure what that meant, but it sounded good, which, uh, using words you don't know the meaning of is very convincing, uh, preteen behavior. Yeah. It really is. That rings. It's a very bad idea. It feels very good at the time. Just off the top of my head, I didn't look this up, so I may be wrong. I believe an old sot means an old drunkard. Yeah. Uh, a sot is someone who's, uh, con- constantly drunk. Yeah, I was right. It was about making fun of inebriation and alcoholism, which we now know is a disease that people often have little control over. Get woke, Percy! Yeah, 2005, 12-year-old. Yeah, that's a point. <laughs> also, he, by his own admission, does not know what it means. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that's reasonable. But, uh, William, all of this behavior has consequences, doesn't it? It does. It does, in fact, have consequences. The headmaster hauls him in. And says he is not going to be invited back next year to Yancey Academy. I know Yancey is like an actual last name. Yes. But it is it is the most upper middle class New York yeah. ass name that I I can't have respect for it. I'm sorry. No, it's really it's really evocative. Like you might you might just name it Wasptopia. It clearly sets up what kind of place it is, and PJ, for his part, has been implied, if not established, to be... And this this might just be because I have a little more familiarity with him throughout the rest of the books, but he's implied to be sort of working class. It's not implied. It's outright stated. Oh, is it? He's a poor kid from Manhattan. That's right. He's a poor kid from Manhattan. And this is, uh, for all its virtues, apparently uh, a place for rich little assholes to go. So how he got in there in the first place is... um. Is, is kind of a mystery, honestly. Yeah. But it looks like it was never really the place for him. Yeah. He laments that he has to go back to his, quote, obnoxious stepfather and his stupid poker parties. Yeah. But he's homesick. He wants to go home. Yeah. Screw this joint. Who needs him? With their Grover and their Mr. Brunner and similar. Who needs him? Not PJ. That's who. Yeah. Who needs the Quickie Mart? So, Percy has accepted his fate. Screw this place, I'm going home. But he decides that if he's leaving, he's going to try to ace his very last final. But he can't do it on his own. He's going to need some help. And so he goes to consult William's favorite, Mr. Brunner. Yeah, so he he's just been talking, and he's just been thinking over his weirdly intense talk with Mr. Brunner about how <laughs> Greek and Roman mythology is life and death. And it's like, what yeah. the hell are you talking about, sir? About how Mr. Brunner takes an interest in him that in this day and age would be considered borderline eyebrow raising. Yeah. Yeah. But he goes to Mr. Brunner's office to at least, like, I'm going to fail, but please know that I'm doing my best. Right. It's not, it's not for lack of trying. And he hears, to quote Casey, a susurrus from the room uh-huh. in the form of Grover's voice telling he's... He's saying that he's worried about Percy. Yeah, he's not ready. The summer solstice deadline, which is news to us, is rapidly approaching. And 
He saw her. What does that mean, sir? Yeah, and he drops the name, a kindly one. Which, that doesn't sound accurate. She doesn't seem very kind to me at all. And he also says something about the mist over the the students and staff. What is that? Right. Yeah, Grover appears to have some personal stake in this. Because, uh, aside Percy's well-being, which he does seem genuinely genuinely concerned for, uh, he tells Mr. Brother that he can't fail again. He just can't. There is no option for him. He has to succeed. At what? We don't know. Yeah, and they keep bringing up they. Who is they? Yeah. About if if they can find him. Now, oh, fuck, what was it? You've probably got the quote there. Uh, now that we know for sure, and they know too. It's yes. Like, who are they? And know what for sure. Was there something they were waiting for confirmation of? Well, I mean, being attacked by a monstro probably confirms a lot Some of things. things. Some things, yeah. So Percy's dropping these eaves. He also drops his book. Like a dum-dum would do. Uh, li- li- like a, like a mook in a, a sneak movie. Like an inept gardener. And he hears approaching to the door and just bolts. He doesn't try to, yeah. he doesn't stick around to find out what's happening. He just bolts. He scarpers off. And this is something that, I don't know why this jumped out to me, but maybe this is just the kind of detail that bugs me. He says, the shadow of something much taller than my wheel-bound teacher, holding something that looked like an archer's bow, shows up in the (laughs) Thank you! Yes, an archer's bow. (laughs) What other kind of bow is there, and how do and how would you know the difference? Well, let's see, just off the top of my head, there's violin. There's like oh, the ribbon, the the ribbon kind. There's the bow of a ship. Uh, there's the kind of bow where you bend over in order to receive adulation and praise from people who feel you have accomplished something. Although, admittedly, it would be difficult to know whether you were seeing a shadow of one of those, unless it was that gif of Jim Carrey in the Truman Show, because I was. That would cast a pretty distinctive silhouette. What other kind of bows do we have? Bows. We've got little Bow Wow, famous rapper. Feel free to feel free to jump in anytime here. No, no, I'm 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 forcing you to continue. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that I regret this. I'm pretty sure uh one of the chain chomps in uh Link to Link in, in, in Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, my favorite Zelda, I'm pretty sure one of them was called Bow Wow. Um, it is. Yeah, we've got, uh, bow, uh, which is a kind of delicious dumpling, um, which yeah. is not spelled the same way, but no. Percy being dyslexic may not know that. So, uh, yeah. we've got the boughs of, the boughs of trees, uh, like the golden bow, famous work on mythology. So, you know what? Maybe Mr. Brunner was holding a, uh, a copy of another classical mythology text that would have helped Percy through his, uh, through his final, uh, it would certainly help me stay afloat in this. Uh, I think I'm out of bows. Phenomenal. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> anyways, like, Archer's bow. That's just a, Archer's. Such a, it's such a weird statement to me. Archer's bow. Why is he holding it? And how did he get it from the captain of the Enterprise? Uh, um, it's probably foreshadowing. Uh, yeah, yeah, almost, almost certainly. Oh yeah, no, no. Anyway. Part of the problem with this book, well, it's not a problem with the book, it's a problem with me, is that I know, uh, I, I've absorbed some cultural osmosis of what this book is right. about. 
but I also know a lot about mythology, so it's like, I know, it's like, oh, mythological thing holding a bow. I know what right. that is. Exactly. That paints a, a very specific picture. Yeah. Yeah, Greek mythology has, like, three famous archers. And it's Correct. Like, you know, this isn't Odysseus, so it's not that. Probably not. We can't be certain. It's not Paris. And I think part of that foreshadowing, ding, is is to be enjoyed by the listener, to, or by the yeah. reader, rather, to an extent, because, again, since we're seeing this from PJ's perspective, since he's our unreliable narrator, he, by his own admission, is really bad at that shit. So yeah. <laughs> he he would probably have genuine trouble uh, understanding the implications of what the shapes of that shadow meant. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, good, good foreshadowing... Being able to see where a book is going is a sign of good writing. Correct. A clear roadmap. Yeah, so Percy's hiding in the hall, but he's still close enough to hear some stuff. Talking about, my nerves haven't been right since the winter solstice. So we've heard mention of both solstices now. More of a (laughs) duostice. See, the problem is, now you know I'm pulling quotes for the titles. So. Yeah, uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh. yes. So something is a Bruin, and later... And he sends Grover off. Yeah. And later, PJ tries to grill him about it, say, you know, gee, what's going on, man? And he is reluctant to discuss it. But the message and the meaning are clear. PJ's in danger, and not just of flunking out of school. Yeah. In the afternoon, the next day, this is where it jumps to. Uh, he gets called aside by Mr. Brunner saying, Percy, don't be discouraged about leaving Yancey. It's for the best. <laughs> and it's like, what do you mean, Mr. Brunner? Right. Say what you mean, goddammit. One ones could be accidental. We'll allow it. We'll you know we'll be we'll be generous and assume maybe he he uh, didn't really mean anything by that. But then he continues. It says, "Percy, you don't belong here. This isn't the right place for exactly. you. Exactly. It was only a matter of time." Yes, <laughs> and like he does the whole. Oh no, wait! I wasn't saying that right. Oh no, that that's not that's not what I meant to say. And but you, uh, but you said it like five times. Yeah, for real. He tra- he swung that bat and did not connect five times in a row. And uh, PJ is not inclined to give him any more chances. So, exeunt yep. PJ. And that's the that's the situation as he's preparing to leave Yancey Academy. His best friend, uh, by dint of being his only friend there, is clearly hiding something from him. His favorite teacher has apparently written him off as a lost cause and the two of them are conspiring and commiserating about him being in danger but a danger that apparently they don't feel he merits knowledge of this is my last note of the things but i guess i can bring it up now it's i understand why books books and stories do it but it's like you know maybe if you told the person Maybe. who the secret is about what's going Maybe. on. Yeah. They could be helpful in dealing with it. Maybe. There's a whole TV tropes page uh, just for poor communication kills, which it does. And like, 
you know, I'll say here what I'll say in any movie or whatever when the question, hey, why don't they just X comes up? And the answer is, of course, because then no story, right? Yeah, because because then it would cut the story in half. Exactly. But it's still one of those things where it's like, it's again, uh, maybe I just am too interested in efficiency where it's like, <laughs> if you told the person the thing, they can be part of the solution. This whole thing could really be a lot quicker, you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and it's not super blatant here because, you know, no, he's 12. How much help can he really be in whatever's going on? In whatever's happening. Well, and, I mean, the, the emotional turbulence and turmoil of being a 12-year-old who is far and home and missing his mom and failing his subjects and finding out his best friend is keeping secrets from him and disappointing his favorite teacher. Like, he's he's not in a place to, to be super reasonable or helpful to anyone, really. He's as much a liability to himself and others uh, as whatever outside forces may or may not be threatening him. And that's on top of the Monstro attacking. Yeah. But yeah, Percy, he storms off in a huff. Jackson out! Because Mr. Brunner point blank tells him, you don't belong here. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Which, I honestly, dude, real bad. I don't know what you're even trying to say on that one. For real. Well, he considers Uh, that a wrap on his relationship with Mr. Brunner, which I think we can agree is fair. mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, oh oh, yeah, no, and we get to the point where it's like, yeah, these... It's a school for troubled youths, but they're rich troubled youths, and because all his all his classmates are talking about cruises to the Caribbean and right. mountain the trips to Switzerland, and it's like exactly, god damn it. And PJ PJ is clearly thinking and emoting uh, what we the audience would think in such a situation, which is fucking rich people. Yeah, and he he's just like I'm going home to man. Ah, yeah. Fuck you. To Manahatta. Yeah. To, to walk dogs and sell magazine subscriptions all summer. I'm reading my wife, um, one of David Sedaris's books, uh, Calypso, which is really excellent and really heartbreaking and deals with like his sister's suicide and a lot of like genuinely oh. really gripping human stuff. And it's asking us to empathize with him a lot. And then it talks about how he buys a third house on a beach where they used to vacation when they were children just because he can. And he names it the sea section, which is actually really good. <laughs> um, but it's yeah. like, you, you want us to empathize with you really hard, dude. And you're honestly, you're not making it difficult. That's some heartbreaking stuff. And then you're like, so then I bought another house to feel better about myself and my family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In his defense, he's aware of it. There is no Hopefully. more, uh, no more self-acknowledged hypocrite than David Sedaris. I recommend his entire catalog. Uh, what, what, what was the name of this book? Oh, it's called Calypso. Uh, like the, uh, like the dance. And what Sedaris does is, um, he's kind of a memoir essayist. And you can pick up any of his books in any order and read them. Cause like they reference each other, but they're, there isn't really an order besides the chronological order they came out. It doesn't matter. The only things I would recommend reading in order are the two collections of his, um, sort of streamlined diary entries, which are Theft by Finding and A Carnival of Snackery. So those two Uh. should probably be read in the correct order because they deal with different chunks of his life. Anyway, David Sedaris, very funny, very dry and witty, very bitchy, grumpy, uh, old little gay dude. It's fantastic. 
Oh, I do know this guy. He's uh, Amy Sedaris's brother. Correct. Who is extremely funny. Yeah, uh, Amy Sedaris is very good. Well, and it's clearly a Sedaris family trait to be extremely funny. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I recommend his entire catalog. So, in any event, in any PJ event. and Grover, they at least get to take the bus back together. He's not just going to have to head back to Manahatta in in disgrace and exile alone. Yeah, Grover comes comes around along for reasons unknown. Reasons of his own? Yeah, cuz we don't we're not given to understand where Grover lives, but it's never implied he lives in New York. <laughs> no. Uh, and now that they're alone and stuck on a bus for who knows how long, I don't know where Nancy yeah. Kennedy is supposed to be in Manhattan. No. Uh, well, it's, it says, it says in New York and New York is a pretty small state. So I mean, I mean it's, even... it's, it's mid-sized, but I can't imagine it would take more than three hours to yeah, get I from one imagine. point to another, but it is still long enough for Percy to confront Grover TM. Yeah, for him to get and, super fucking weird about it. And he like he he directly without any nuance or caveat just says, "Nope. What's going on?" Yeah. Are you looking for a kindly one? What's the summer solstice deadline? He said just slapping that Uno card down. And uh PJ freaks out, or not PJ, Grover freaks out a little bit, which I think we can agree is understandable. Yeah. And Grover says, what? <laughs> Nothing. Anyway, here, have my card, because I'm a high schooler with a card. <laughs> yeah, he just completely flubs any attempt at cover-up, and he's like, alright, here. Right. What I can do is give you this. And his card, uh, in case you need me this summer... And, uh, Percy tries to ask, like, what, what does that mean, though? And he's like, I don't know, stuff, don't worry about it. Don't say it out loud. Yeah, don't, don't be that, don't make it weird, Percy. It, it, it reads that he is a keeper. Correct. Grover Underwood. Keeper. Uh, ha- Half Blood Hill, Long Island, New York. Correct. And it gives With- a nonsense, uh, phone number. Um, it does. It's 800-009-0009, and that was just weird enough to be interesting to me, and that I spent some time trying to figure out if that was a cipher. saying something, if that was like some kind of code for something, and I, d- I don't, I don't think, so. well, what's the ninth letter of the alphabet? There's, okay, there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, I, so, zero, 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 I, is it, uh, no, that's, that's nothing. I'm pretty sure it's not a code. I'm pretty sure it's just a string of numbers that Uncle Rick pulled out of thin air. And, Fucking Uncle Rick, that rascal. That and that he me off. was as sure as he could be was not a real number, so people wouldn't be calling like yeah. they do. Trying to talk to Grover. When the first Welcome to Night Vale novel came out, um, I bought a copy in hardcover because that's who I was at that time. And there's a series of blinks and bloops on the, the front cover that look like, uh, like a radio tower kind of thing and like headlights on the highway. And I was convinced, and I was not the only one, that it was Morse code. And I spent an extremely long time trying to figure out what it says. And then the poor people, Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner, had to come out and say, no guys, that's just a pattern. I'm sorry, there's nothing there. It's, it's, <laughs> and like they okay. might have been lying because it's them, but. But also it's like, 
you can't be upset at Night Vale fans exactly. looking for that sort of thing. You fuckers knew what you were doing. Come on. It's like, there is no way you did that on accident. Yeah. And then again, there's always the lying creator possibility. I don't know. Uh, I I hate that myself, but yeah. In any event. Grover. He, he's a keeper. <laughs> Ain't he just? Yeah. He's nice and stable. And his name does begin with G, so a relation to Giles is not outside the realm of possibility. Uh... <laughs> I know just enough to laugh at that joke. That's it. We should, you should watch that show. It's good. Um, God, I've I've tried a couple times, dog. It's it's fine. Like I don't know. It's I think it's one of those things. Like there's uh, there's a trope called Seinfeld isn't funny. The whole point of which is that it's it's not that Seinfeld isn't funny. It's that Seinfeld was so funny that it has informed the comedic sensibilities of the past thirty years. So yeah. like. Everything we enjoy tastes like Seinfeld, right? So yeah, Seinfeld it, seems unoriginal and primitive. It, it, it's it's like how hey, the first Halo seems kind of quaint because exactly every single first person shooter since has been is a Halo like. Yeah, it, it has been using it as a measuring stick. It's become the definition of the genre. Speaking of which, um, I have a recommendation to make it a, a podcast called Old Gamers Almanac. Um, they're delightful. They play through every video game ever made, all six of them, and they uh, and they and they rank them against each other. So you've got like Super Mario Brothers three against Celeste, against Halo, against Mass Effect two, against Crusader Kings three, um, and it's it's just delightful. It's a lot of fun. I recommend it. But they go over, um, they go through all three Halos and talk about their their sort of um, position and influence in the world of games and shooters. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And honestly, I think that's what it is with Buffy for me. I think that Buffy has yeah. become like the urtext of the language of so much of the media that I enjoy that it's like, yeah, this is a much less developed version of things I already like. So, And it's less developed because it was literally the first one. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. it's like how Terry Pratchett says... Yeah, Color of Magic is canon, but it's a canon written by someone who didn't know what he was doing. Exactly, like Mad Lord Snapcase is not Lord Vetinari, or is he? We may never know. No, he he, um, he very much is. He's just Vetinari written by someone who didn't really know what he wanted to do with Vetinari. What the deal was with Vetinari? Exactly. Yeah, Color of Magic and the Light Fantastic are not great books. I'm sorry. They're I mean, they've got okay. they've got some. They've got some good stuff in there, definitely. But, like um, like Terry Pratchett's sense of humor is still Terry Pratchett's sense of humor, and yeah, that's if, true. If you're on board with that, you'll still like those books. That's um, true. I liked them. It's just like I mean, I mean, they're, they're no Hogfather. They're no Snuff. They're they're no Guards. Guards. Oh, Guards. Guards is so good. I mean, the Vimes books are the best, right? Oh, like, yeah. there's a lot of the Vimes books and the Death books. Although the Tiffany Aching ones are really good too. I really like the Wee Free Men and um. I'll, I like the witches. Uh, you know, I never got into the witches. I don't dislike them. I just, I don't know, Granny Weatherwax, whatever. I mean, I, I think I like the magic people mostly because their names are great. Yeah, that's fair. This is not yet a Terry Pratchett podcast. Don't you threaten me with a good time. Well, uh, what I will threaten is Grover. <laughs> that's what PJ has to do to get any yeah. information out of him. Motherfucker, I ran a Sherlock Holmes podcast for two years. You think I can't redirect a conversation to get back on track? <laughs> Uh, I need to learn that skill. So Grover uh, admits that it's his job under intense pressure. He admits that it's his job to protect PJ. PJ says, from what? 
Yeah. Uh, and something I do like is that uh, PJ was on the other end of he says a thing and it's turn sounds way worse than it's supposed yep. to. Uh, yep. So like, if I need you, to, if I want to, so he gets the card. Grover says, "If you need me for over the summer," and and Percy Jackson says, "Why would I need you?" Yep. Which is like, it real, it real, real hurt. And, and like, he didn't mean it that way, but also he was mad at Grover and. Like, if I need you for what, if I need your snitching services, like. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what do I need you for? And he's, so, to, to me, that is a very genuine question in, his, in this thing. It's like, what do I need you for? I like right. you, you're my friend, but that's not my vocabulary. Why do I right. need you? And that's not how it came out. Yeah. And I relate yeah. to that. Um, one time in the sixth grade. Uh, I was not a popular kid. I wasn't an unpopular kid. I just minded my own business and read my red walls, you know? Um, yeah, that tracks. And, uh, yeah. And yep. uh, a gaggle of the popular girls approached me, uh, as they do, and they said, hey, Casey, would you be interested in going on a date with this, uh, with this other popular girl? And I said, why? <laughs> Oof! And what I meant was... <laughs> What I meant was like, what are the parameters here? Did she tell you to ask me? Are are you yeah. asking in hopes of putting us like what's what's happening here? What's the context? But and what that you is said not how was why would I why would I want to do that? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh I, I related with PJ in this scene. I And just as he does this, uh the bus breaks down. Correct. This is interesting. I noted this, and I'm not certain if it was intentional, if this is a foreshadowing bell moment or not, but when there's uh-oh bus trouble, there's the same sulfur stank as there was when Mrs. Dodds explode. And I can almost guarantee you it is, because be. I'm, I'm not a mechanic, but I've dealt with right. engines. You're an engineer. There yeah. is nothing There is nothing in a modern vehicle engine that is that should smell like rotten eggs yeah there's nothing because like there's a sulfur like it's a chemical comp it's an element so is sulfur an element or is it sulfur is an element and it is used in various chemical there are uses of sulfur but none of them are used in internal combustion engines right so that's a that's a hint right there for you charlie the bus pulls over and wouldn't you know it there's a roadside fruit stand with old ladies knitting giant socks and Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, and the fruit is, this is actually something I, I really liked. He calls out, the boxes are filled with cherries, apples, yeah, walnuts, and yeah, apricots. Yeah, luscious. When we were talking about this project, you said you wanted me to come on because I have knowledge of mythology and history. Those yes. are all old world fruits. See, this is why you are here, William. I thought that's where you were going. Yes. And all of them are, they don't have specific mythologies around them, but they are all. Right. Well, apples do. Well, apples, yes. But cherries, walnuts, and apricots don't, unless I've missed them, they don't really have. Because you haven't specific, read the Gospel of Pac-Man. Unless they, I've missed those specific ones, they don't really have a lot of specific mythologies, but they are always talked about in those stories because those are right. the, 
that is the produce of the of the Eastern Mediterranean. Yes, that's very good. Well, and there are uh, jugs of cider as well. Does cider have uh, have any kind of pedigree no. or history? No, that's just uh, that, that's the apple's natural state. Uh, just that's true. Uh, I, I, so I, I watched a video about cider a while ago, and uh, something I learned is that uh, yeast. It very easily grows on apple skins. Okay. So it is very easy to ferment apples into alcohol. Yeah. Cider happens almost automatically. Yeah. Like, the thing is, eating apples were always a very specific subset of apples. Right. There's eating apples and there's cider. But just like there's eating oranges and juicing oranges. Yeah. Like, the majority of apple crops throughout the centuries has been for alcohol. Right. That's, yeah, there's significant evidence to suggest that agriculture was invented so that we could have enough grain to make alcohol on a regular yeah, basis. so that we could have more beer. Exactly. Which is fascinating and hilarious. That's, uh, that tracks. I mean, that's on brand for humankind. In any event. And they are knitting the biggest socks he had ever seen. Big the old size of socks. sweaters, but they are clearly yeah. socks. Yeah, I want to climb in there, get all comfy cozy, hang me on a hearth. Uh, Grover, for his part, sees this, flips out, and like, let's be clear, Grover's concealing some stuff from his buddy that sounds like it would be important for Percy to know whether or not he has good reasons for doing so. They're his own reasons, right? So that's that. Grover, by all accounts, is having a pretty hard time, and it's not getting any easier. (laughs) Yeah, because these are quite clearly... The Moirai. Exactly. Or the Norns. Or the, fa- the you know, it's, you're gonna find uh, them pretty much wherever you look. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it, it, like every single culture in Europe has, yeah, has a three set old of ladies three that women. tell you when you die. It's, yeah, a, 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 a set of three women who are the weavers of fate. Correct. Clothos, Lachesis, and Atropos. Yes. I was gonna drop those the names and you beat me to it. I'm proud of you. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I'm but proud of you. I know. Th- oh, thank you. I know them. Uh, not from mythology, but from reading Stephen King's Insomnia in the seventh grade. I mean, I first learned their names from God of War, so that's not much that's better. Fair. Uh, that's fair. Where you know, as you do in God of War, you kill them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> that's what uh, those games are about. Yeah, no, th- those games are great, r- ridiculous, and horrible in so many ways. Uh, I mean, they're deicide simulators. That's what they are. <laughs> but yeah, Grover freaks out and is very insistent on getting Percy back on the bus away from these the ladies. Bus. Get away from these old dames and their delicious cider. Yeah, I'm glad you went into those being old world fruits because I wondered, um, as we talked about in the pre-show a little bit, if this was some, like, sort of siren. Because, I mean, like, obviously they weren't being alluring sirens saying, come, let me knit you something salacious. Like, they weren't actively attempting to, like, seduce or or tempt them or anything. But I wondered if it was supposed to be – because, like, the food is there – but it doesn't yeah. do anything. I mean, tempting with unusually delicious-looking fruit is yeah. a trope as old as fruit. Exactly. That's a that's a thing. Humans see thing. Human want to eat thing. It's it, it's a sign. It's something that's used in fairies. It's something that's used by tricksters exactly. in 
all sorts of cultures. Um, but it's not it's not really leveraged here, and I have no. to wonder if that's because Grover got to him before it could. Yeah, because he he does he he does give a pretty deep like half a chapter of talking about the stuff looking good. Yeah, for real. Like like Redwall level Game of Thrones level description of food. Do you know there's a Redwall cookbook? There is a Redwall cookbook, and I want it. Uh, it's not nearly that one. He, he just says like, "Oh, they look really good." Yeah, these are some good fruit. Uh, and I'd put that in a pie. And then Grover, his nose starts twitching, and he's like, "Get back on the bus, Percy." Back on the bus. So finally, they do bus fix, bus go. Yeah, he witnesses then take out. A huge pair of gold and silver bladed scissors and yeah. snip the thread of their sausage yarn in. Slinked. And I wanted to know more about that. First of all, what does gold and silver mean? Does that mean one blade is gold and one blade is silver? Does that mean they're silver adorned with gold? Like, what's, uh, what's going I on mean, there? What is I, uh... What is that symbolic of? I would have... I mean, I would assume that one is silver and one is gold. All right. But that's how I read it. But yeah, to represent represent the mortal and divine worlds yes. coming together. I don't know. Cool. Maybe. Anyway, Some, they're, they're divinities. They can afford it. That's that's true. What else are you gonna spend money on? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so bus fix, bus go. Uh, PJ, for his part, is feeling poorly. He's feeling feverish. And Grover is like, "Did you see anything? Like, what did you see? What did those old ladies show you?" And he says, I saw them sniff the yarn, the, uh, yeah. sniff the cord. And Grover looks incredibly unhappy about this. Yeah, no, life is just getting harder for Grover. And like, the more, the more we see of Grover, the more I am convinced that he was burdened with something he should not have had to bear because. <laughs> yeah, this guy is not qualified for this job. No, he is, he is in way over As his head. He knows it. <laughs> yeah. Which is the hardest part. He makes some kind of, some kind of warding gesture. Uh, not, he, he, Percy said it was like crossing himself, except not in any way. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, I, I think he was trying to, uh, yeah, yeah. He closed his eyes and made a gesture with his fingers that might have been crossing himself, but it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, I, I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to make a, oh, this is clearly a gesture of significance. A benedictory gesture, yeah. It, it reminds me of, uh, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's exactly what I was they, gonna say! He, yes. he describes the Vogon ships of, they hung in the air exactly the way that bricks don't. It's like. Exactly, wait, you know, say what you will for the dissimile, it gets the job done. I. <laughs> you know what, William? I gotta say, I was pretty worried about this episode for a second because I felt like we, ble- we 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 blew through the first half really quick, right? And then I realized yeah. that's just because there was nothing to talk about. Like two things happened. <laughs> yeah, but I mean the back yeah. half is a little denser. Um, yeah, there's there there are more chunks to chop on and more delicious fruit to talk about. Yeah, and, in any event, and Grover's upset and he starts mumbling about always sixth grade. They never get past six. And it's same. Like, Grover, what are you talking about? Grover. And he and he what makes. Is- he makes Percy promise him that he'll let him walk him home from the bus station. Yeah, which I'm not here to tell disabled people how to live their lives, obviously, but it it does it does quirk an eyebrow that a character whose whose core 
conception and description is that he has a muscular disability in his legs is suddenly like, oh, here, let me do extra walking for reasons I'm not going to explain to you. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I mean, I think that's deliberately, I think this at least is deliberately like, he is trying to bring your attention to this. It's like, okay, Grover, what are you, what God's sake, What's happening here? What is happening? Just talk for the love. And it, 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 as the first one, leaves off on a great line. He looked at me mournfully, like he was already picking the kinds of flowers I'd like best on my coffin. Yeah. Well, and he, uh, and he asks, he says, Grover, the snipping of that yarn, does that mean that somebody is going to die? And I'll say this, for somebody who by his own admission is really bad at mythology, he seems to have picked up quite a lot of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good though. It is. It's very good. Well, that's the end of the second chapter. Uh, William, did you find yourself someone worthy of your Brunner Award? I did. Uh, it's, I mean, as I said, it's, it's not a chapter with a lot. Yeah. It's uh, a, it's a bit of a breather. The it's, first it's a, one, the, the first chapter was long and it had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a transitory yeah. chapter where it's, it's kind of just. Cause they're on a bus. Uh, uh, I'm gonna live forever. But yeah, it's very much a thing of it's a get things from point A to point B type of yeah written chapter. But I do like I, I, I like the kind of foreshadowing they do. Yeah, because it's a very foreshadowing heavy book where they talk about you know when he talks goes to talk to Mister Brunner, he see he hears a conversation and sees a big figure in the uh, right. doorway. It's as much about what's coming as what's here. Yeah. There's a smell of sulfur like there was with Mrs. Dodds. I don't know how deliberate having the fruit, all the old world fruit was, but I That's like 100% it. deliberate. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, if it wasn't deliberate, it's one of the best parts of Accidental Genius I've ever read. Um, yeah, that was really good. Oh, so is that your, is that, is that your Brunner, the fruit? Yeah, just, just it, it, it's, it's kind of a thin Mr. Brunner, I think, but just, it's, no, it's, it's very, fair. it's a thin chapter. It, it's very, it, there, there are parts where it's like, oh, this is, this is setting something up for later. Yes. That's very good. Oh, that reminds me. Um, I saw on Twitter that Rodrigo Lopez, uh, who's the dungeon master of Critical Hit, or at least was for its first thing. Go listen to Critical Hit. It's fourth edition. It's rad. Um, it's better than us. It's much better than us. Um, he was talking about Encanto, uh, that new Disney film that I have not seen and about yeah. how, uh, I don't know much about it, but it's a Disney film about a girl. So I assume she's being forced to fit in and doesn't want to and comes to a happy balance at the end somehow. Um, but like apparently in the beginning, she, she has like powers related to flowers or plants or something like that. And in the beginning, she's producing roses, uh, which is part of what's demanded of her. And Rodrigo points out that like the character is explicitly from Colombia and they don't have roses there. No. That's not, that's not a flower that lives there. And that as she like breaks out of that and gets into her, um, you know, let it go era, if you want to say, that she starts to create more old world plants from where she would natively be from. Yeah. And, uh, she, she, I would she's... never have picked up on that. Yeah. For a million reasons. But, uh, yeah, that's I, I don't know and shit about flowers. Yeah, me neither. Um, but it's the, it's the same, it's obviously not the same level of brilliant, but just the same thing that this fruit was. Cause the fruit are specific enough that there's clearly something there. You can see yeah. the shape of something. 
and like yeah, and and, uh, and he calls out. He, he doesn't just say that you know there's a bunch of fruit, right? And he doesn't use general terms of you know there's berries and nuts. He specifically right. says there are cherries, apples, walnuts, and apricots. Correct. And like he's described, he's described other food pretty. Pretty Generally. specifically, peanut butter and ketchup sandwich, yeah, stuff like that, apples. But still, that was that was very subtle and very good. I'm glad you brought it up. My Brunner, for my part, is uh, – I'm going to get to my Brunner in a second. I just want to make a side reference. Yeah. Uh, listeners in the pre-show, we talked about how I just watched Dante's Peak. Still really good. Hold up. Um, at one point, Pierce Brosnan's character – oh, it's the bit about how, how Grover says they always make it – they never make it past sixth grade. At one point, Pierce Brosnan's character says something about his ninth grade science teacher. And I'm like, hold the fuck up. You are being openly British. What do you mean ninth grade? Where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I genuinely think it's it's not a screenwriting error. I think it's just that Pierce Brosnan, in every movie he's in, decides from scene to scene whether or not he's American. Yeah. <laughs> and... Sometimes mid-scene it switches. <laughs> um, anyway, that just made me very happy. But my Brunner is... What was it here? Oh, it's in the second chunk of the chapter. Uh, at the end of term when there are other, all the other kids are talking about the trips they're going to go on. This It's this line from PJ. They were juvenile delinquents like me, but they were rich juvenile delinquents. <laughs> yeah. Percy Jackson, a comrade. Their daddies were executives or ambassadors or celebrities. Exactly. Fucking. God Fucking rich people. Sons of bitches. Well, that's the end of episode two, chapter two. Three old ladies knit the socks of death. William, what's our next chapter called? Uh, the, our next chapter is Grover unexpectedly loses his pants. Who among us? We all know this classic way. So yes. go ahead and read chapter three for next time. You can find us on Twitter at the underscore Jackson underscore two T-W-O. You can find us on Patreon at the Jackson two. If you know what? This show's free. It's always going to be free, but I'm going to let you in a little secret here. I'm going to let you in a little secret. If you enjoy this and you want us to be able to do more of this uh, more frequently, if you want to sign up for our Patreon, two bucks a month, just two dollars, two of your human dollars a month gets you every episode as quickly as I can get them edited, so way ahead of the release schedule. And if you want to throw us five dollars, five human dollars, that's just one dollar five times, you get exclusive pre-shows where William and I talk about, oh brother, where art thou? And a video game called Dicey Dungeons. And a book where a rabbi solves a murder mystery. Uh, they are well worth your time, or so I say, for my position of complete objectivity and correctness. In any event... You can also email us at thejackson2pod at gmail.com. If your email is nice, we'll read it on on the air. If it's entertainingly mean, we'll read it on the air and then make fun of you, however you want to do it. That's just fine. Yeah, we'll McElroy this. Yeah, exactly. So next time, go ahead and read the one about Grover's pants I already forgot, and we'll find out. Did the roadside stand have homemade peanut brittle? How many groves do you need to call yourself a Grover? And cider? I hardly know her. Until then, everybody, be safe, be good to each other, wear your fucking masks. Bye, all our buddies. Please, bye, all our buddies.